Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, and I need a laugh, there's a help in people. But don't bother talking to these funny people. He's asking what they find and they're telling the stories. Can somebody yell out the name of the show, please? It's my maid, This is my mate, Bought a Toaster, and this week I'm joined by the fabulous writer, comedian, actor, podcaster, toaster owner, Josh Howie. Josh Howie, hello. Hey, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I was just thinking it's 20 years we've been friends and associates and comrades in comedy. Because it really so I think we first met at the comedy cafe, didn't yeah. we? Something like that in about yeah, twenty years and ago. I just wow. one of my first gigs. And uh so yeah, I started uh sort of end of February, beginning of March, yeah, t- uh two thousand and two. I met someone yesterday whose whose son is he's twenty six and he's just sort of in the last year started doing stand up and he's like on the circuit now. He's at that point where he's doing like five nights a week, not getting paid yet. He's been going a couple of years. And I felt I felt pure old man envy for the first oh, really? time with stand-up. I've always, I've always looked back on stand-up and gone, oh, thank God that bit's gone, or that was quite good. Or, you know, I've never had rose-tinted spectacles at all with yeah. stand-up. And, and yet, when she said that, I was like, oh, to be back meeting the Josh Howies in the comedy cafes of this world. <laughs> well, you did meet the proper characters, and it really did sort of broaden your horizons. But when people say I was stand up hard, it's not really, it's not that hard when you're funny. The problem is it just takes so long to get funny or it took me a long time to get funny. And um, that that first few years is the super hard years because you are doing, I was like obsessed. I was doing like nine gigs a week. I was literally out every night. You're going from one crappy yeah. pub in the corner to another pub and you're doing these five minutes. And it that was hard and you're and you're rubbish mostly <laughs> maybe one joke and um and then you get like two jokes that kind of work and then three and it's just such an incremental thing but that first year or two where really all that keeps you going is faith yes because no one else sees it and i remember my mum coming to one of my first gigs and sort of and I, the idea was i was still living at home and it was like i would make start making a living through stand up and then i'd move out and she called my dad and they they were divorced they do not speak at all and she literally said He's mental. How do I get him out of my house? He's never going to make it. <laughs> and she was right. She was right. And she was right. And it did take a few words. But her feedback to me after that gig was, that wasn't seven minutes. That was all she- <laughs> what do you mean? It felt, it felt like 45. <laughs> yes, that was all she could say. That was her only. Although that's better than my mother-in-law. And my wife just reminded me of the story. And you met, you know, Monique, because I was with her the whole time of stand-up. Yeah. Um, so you met loads of times and through that whole thing. But she, her mum came to see me do a gig. And used to have a bit of a drinking problem. I said, okay, she doesn't listen to podcasts. Fine, 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 yeah. And it was like, do you remember Rolly Moe? Do you remember that? Yeah, Rolly Moe had a gig in Oxford Street and it was like in a little pub upstairs and he was a weird dude. He used to do a thing with an aeroplane. He'd stand on stage, yeah. this old American yeah. dude. I say old American dude, Josh. The chances are he used to say he was the same age then as we are now. Thanks for coming. <laughs> um, there's my first epiphany of the show. Um, and, and he would hold an aeroplane up, a toy aeroplane up, not a real one, and just go, yeah. and it was fucking hilarious. I, it was yeah. piss funny. Yeah, it was piss funny the first time you saw it. When you saw it, <laughs> you started wearing a bit thin but um anyway it was that there was a tiny room it was like sort of maybe there were about not there was my my, my mother-in-law and, and her husband and then my s- sister-in-law and her husband mm. and monique and then there were like two other couples at the front tiny tiny room and i went on did my set and i came off and i sat down next to my mother-in-law and she turned to me and went so when are you going on <laughs> like that's how drunk she was <laughs> What do you what do you say to that? Um I was just like, wow, I made a massive impression here. I mean, and you've got it the room was so small. It was literally two tables in this room. I, was, I, I think the thing that I often um 
in that situation think about is is the belief, the certainty that what you're doing has a goal. Like it's this weird, you know, it attracts a certain type of personality. We all know that. It attracts a certain type of type of damaged personality. We'll get into that. But it um it it requires you to have this core, incredibly admirable, almost psychopathic. And I often think of Eddie Izzard for this, because Eddie Izzard is the definition of this. Eddie Izzard was shit for years and he used to go at it again and again and again and again and again until he worked it out. What is that? Where? What is that little bean from which roots flow? What is that thing? Well, it, you're right. And it's two contradictory natures being incredibly insecure and needing other people's validation, yet having this like innate sense of also this confidence that you are worthy of being listened to. And not only that, you are funny and that you're the funniest person there. So everybody in that room should focus on you. So it's two, and that's, and you need the insecurity as well, because that's kind of that outsider status is where you notice the, 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 the stuff that becomes your material. So it's a, it's a really strange combination. Mm-hmm. And then there are people who have lots of one. Uh, there are people who are really insecure, but like hilarious, uh, um, but don't have the, so they don't have the ability to sell that stuff and they have this really great outsider look. So really funny and insecure, but they're too insecure. And then you've got people who are like, have that yeah. psychopathic tendency and arrogance. And you remember Alex Lazarus uh, being now that like proper. Oh, what happened to him? Oh so, my God, there's a whole podcast in, in well, maybe not a podcast, yeah. maybe just a conversation off air of you and I just going, yeah, Bill Zimmerman. Where's he? <laughs> yeah. Just doing that. There's all that. these like people we started with, and they sort of dropped off along the way. But Alex Lazarus, he was he was so yeah. insanely confident, and I remember seeing him do like this Jeff White gig out in the middle of nowhere, and he did about an hour, and he didn't get one laugh. <laughs> but you know what? He didn't get a heckle either because he was so confident that the audience just assumed it was their fault because they were like, either this person is like a comedy yeah. genius. And we are just too thick to get this, or he's like the most mental person yeah. we've ever seen. <laughs> you basically scared his audiences. Um, all right, listen, um, what we're going to do, Josh, I have cracked into your Amazon account. And by the way, thank you so much. You're the first guest ever to put a toaster in the background of the shot. So that really helps me stay focused. Do you know what I mean? If ever I feel we're getting too tangent- tangential, the toaster will be a symbol of what we're doing here today. It's wonderful. Although I didn't buy it from Amazon, so I hope that doesn't break the break the podcast. By the way, I did want to say, your podcast, it's the best idea. I was so jealous. You know what it's like when you see a comic and they do a joke, and they, oh, that was always out there. Why couldn't I do, you know, you, there's anger. And when I first saw you post about it, I was yeah. just like, oh, fucking Tom, you bastard. It's such <laughs> a good idea. It's so annoying. I'm so angry. Anyway, but I'm very happy to be here now. Thanks, mate. That's that's very kind of you to say. And, uh, well, I'm very glad you're here because um, we are diving right back into your past. We're going to, not far off, 20 years ago, Josh, 8th of November 2002, by Petruska Clarkson, The Therapeutic Relationship. You bought a copy of that book. Tell me more. Wow. Okay, that is uh, a long time. Um, so I'm just look. I'm trying to even look at. I don't can't even imagine. All I can imagine is that I was arguing a lot with my then girlfriend, now wife. Right. That would make yeah. sense. Uh, or the <laughs> other thing could be we we got together about a year before. So she was she was and is slightly technically uh, challenged. And I wonder if I bought this book for her because she didn't have an Amazon account or a credit card or any sort of the um, trappings of modern society. So I'm, she's a therapist. Right. right now she's in the other room, in the sitting room. This is why I'm in the kitchen, because she's in the sitting room doing a therapy session right, right this oh moment. Oh, my God. Are, are you going to hear you shouting over someone's very sensitive, carefully put together therapy session? You going, Alex Lazarus, he was so confident. Yeah, oh, no. I, and I left the door open because I needed the Wi-Fi to come out of the sitting room. So it's actually much worse than that. She's going to tell me off in a second. So Fine. All right. So Petruska Clarkson, the therapeutic relationship, it's got a fascinating. Yeah, so it's it's for um, doctors, social workers, teachers and counsellors. Yeah. Um, it's the uses and abuses of the therapeutic relationship in counselling, psychology, psychotherapy and related fields. I just wanted my wife to bloody graduate and earn some money. And that's that's really what that was about. And it's taken 20 years, but she's now doing it because we had this little detour along the way of having lots of children as we bump into each other in the park, so you know. And yeah. uh, so she's been pregnant for like the last 12 years. And then now she's finally is 
being this psychotherapist and earning money and it's just like oh my god the relief it must be for a psychotherapist to be married to a stand-up comic or to be with a stand-up comic it's a busman's holiday isn't it the whole thing she must just look at you just like you are just a you're, treasure trove you're a mess <laughs> well i was worried that like that she has somewhat healed me right oh that's a shame and yes and i'm definitely less of a mess and i i'm what i'm worried that 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 healing and making me at peace with myself has diminished the comic that i used to be uh, I'm definitely less mm, angry on stage, mm. um, less shouty, and that was the fun, Josh. People, some you're the only, you're one of the only people who will remember just me losing it with the audience. But now I'm really like amicable and yeah. nice, and it's sort of like, there's something oh, gone. I know, charming even. Well, what I can do, I can come along to your gigs, and just before you go on stage, I'll say, "Hey, you know, my mate bought a toaster. Your Amazon purchase history is a podcast, Josh. That was my idea, Josh." And just watch you scream. Yeah, yeah, and then just the bile and the venom will. The jealousy will re-emerge. <laughs> oh, 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 my days are so embarrassing. I don't remember buying all these silly little strange things. I swear on my life I was forced by my wife with an ABBA pen knife that I bought on ABBA. Wait, wait a minute. I've been reading the fantastic uh, new book about the Beatles, One, Two, Three, Four. What, what I find really enjoyable about the book is that um, uh, he keeps going into the people who got left behind. Okay. I'm suggesting you and I, I'm not suggesting for a second you and I have been left behind, but let's be honest, as stand-ups over 20 years, we've seen lots of people come oh, by sure. and go on to huge success. And it's things like uh, Pete Best, who was the drummer in the Beatles for two years. Um, there's another guy who went and drummed for a, a couple of months. And uh, it, it's this, there's a lot of them yeah. who then spent the rest of their lives Be- sort of spitting every time they saw the Beatles on TV. And I I, I find that, I find that, uh, you know, I, I think bile management, because we're all told not to get jaded and not to be bitter. And there's some people who don't, like Mark Olver, lovely boy. He'll always sprint stand-up. And he's always like, I'm genuinely happy for people's success. And I, I, I think I'm a psychopath because I can't do that. I'm, I'm, you know, how do you manage the bile? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's really tricky. It's, and even earlier, I mean, it started early on because it would even be like, you, I'm sure I've had bile faults where you like, I'm sure I'd be like, oh, Tom's got a 10 spot at the comedy cap. Or something, you know, like you'd hear like that totally. stuff. It was like, yeah. oh, he's got... Yeah. 20 on Thursday at the comedy store. It's like, oh God, but I did that gig with him and I was just as funny or whatever. So yeah. all of that yeah, is yeah. there and it that and it's so desperate at that time. Yeah. Uh, the hard thing about stand-up is that you just sit, you cannot get away from the success of other people. Absolutely. There, it's, it's everywhere. You're getting on the tube, you're getting... Anywhere you go, there are posters, you turn on the telly. And 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 combine that with the sort of, I wouldn't say renaissance, because it would suggest that it's good. Um, uh, but the, the stand-up that's on television now, that and just mm. you flip from one channel to the other, you cannot escape it. Everybody you know, you've been in a car with somewhere, going to Portsmouth <laughs> for 100 quid or 50. You know, it's it's yeah. all encompassing. And it's important. And, you know, every time you go into a bookshop, every time... Anywhere you go, it's just hitting you at your failure. It's not their success yeah. hitting you. It's your failure. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, and you, you thought Tom Price getting 10 minutes at the cafe was bad or at the store was bad. Yeah. When you see certain people selling DVDs, and, and, yeah. and you're absolutely right, it's got nothing to do with that person. I don't look at particularly, there's a couple, but I don't look at stand-ups and think, you aren't that good. How have you done that? Yeah. I just think, why haven't I done well, that? Well, yeah. I I th- so I think a few things have genuinely helped having a psychotherapist wife, number one. Right. Uh, Number two is I actually do try and focus. And then I look at some of the stuff and I just think, I don't want to be on that panel show. I don't want to be that. Per- that's not the comedy I would want to choose. That's not what, that's not who I, that's not, you know, yes, the money is nice. And I imagine the fame. The other thing is someone like Jack Whitehall, who we started way after me and got instantly massive, but we're friends with, I'm, I'm friend, friendly with. Um, I remember doing a gig with him about a couple of years ago. And we walked, just we like we left the gig together, walking down the road, like cab stopping, people stop. I mean, he could, it's like eleven o'clock at night. It's he just he has no peace, and I'm sure that's wow. he's happy with that, or that's part of the price to be paid. But that level of fame yeah. is is really is like just is too much. And every interaction you're being judged. You know that thing where people yeah. say, oh, Jack Whitehall's a bit of a, Jack Whitehall's a bit of a yeah. tosser. And you're like, what, well, you met him once and he was knackered. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's that it's that level of fame where you're being constantly judged. Yeah, yeah so yeah, go on, number three. Exactly. I'm writing these down. Um, and then having children, 
is a is a massive mm. uh, thing because of course, like, it opens your rea- the, your world and takes you away from yourself more than anything else yes. does. That that uh, that's an indication of just how jaded and bitter you were that you had to have nineteen children. Tell us how many kids you've got, Josh. <laughs> I didn't get it with the first two or three, so we should say to the listeners that I have five kids. So it took by number five, I was emotionally stable. <laughs> But it, the first two or three, I was like, I'll oh, screw you guys. Like, what are you doing for me? What have you done for me lately? So it's taken that. Yes, absolutely. That's the. Isn't your first child called Fuck You McIntyre? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his middle name. Um, so <laughs> that's a big help. But it, I think the, 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 the need, the ego is somewhat filled by having to or, or less than the, you need it or something like that but definitely that's much mm. m- much healthier to just kind of and also i think it puts life into perspective in a greater way and it, totally. it just yes. gets you out yes. of your ambition yes. you know that that's supposedly a bad thing but it's not like guess what you can be happy and have a yes. happy life and i am happy and i really felt that when when i bumped into you because i hadn't seen you for years and i saw you at the playground a couple of years ago just sort of before lockdown and I thought, I thought, God, I really like Josh because when we used to chat, we were in the rat race a bit. Yeah. We were in that place pre-kids. Yeah. And we chatted and I was like, that's what happens when you've had kids. You're just like, oh, what are you like as a person now and not as a mentalist? Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, know, on the and, and, it's, and that is lovely. And it was like, and I remember that day mm. and it was lovely, lovely seeing you exactly for, for exactly the same reasons. Like, oh, you're a human being. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. It's sort of, <laughs> you need a reminder of that. And children are the best reminder you'll ever get of what's important. Yeah. Um, yes, and just giving up your dreams and all that. Well, that we know, but that—that's the joke. But but not. But it isn't actually. You, it's that your dreams are different, become different peeps, and they're not not less valid and stuff. And then, mm. um, and then the other thing that's helped a little bit is I got this Radio Four series a few years ago, and I did two series of that, yes. and I'm really proud of it. And I really was like, and not having had certain chances, and I think like you, you know, seeing all these people going off and flying away in a way. And then I finally got this opportunity and I really gave it everything. And it really, I'm really proud of it. And it exists. And then that yes, to the yes. other stuff. And so little things have happened since then. So I feel somewhat, I feel secure as a human being, but I feel secure as a career and the kind of stuff that I'm doing. And I make a living and and it's 20 years. Totally. Well, that's the thing as well. I think to sort of to, to cap this off because we mustn't be too self indulgent because therapy is happening in the other room, not yeah. in this room. Um, uh, but but you know you are not unsuccessful. That is the key thing, isn't it? And, and it's that thing of going, God, it's really annoying when people say this. You see it in interviews all the time. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. But it's it's fucking true. Oh, you yeah. just got to keep going. Just stay, it's just staying the course, um, and it's and it's tough, big time. And the last couple big of years, time. obviously, have been really tough. And then. It's just it's waves, and you just have to make sure there's a thing. This is the other thing I'd like to say is before we do move on to the actual concept of the mm. podcast is that sure, I, sure, sure. I read this book, and maybe this book is actually in my uh, by Great. or whatever. Anyway, but we can pretend this can, is part of the podcast. Yeah. Then nice. she, the writer talks about this theory. She she starts off. She it's called the worst day ever, I think, and she talks about how when she was in LA, she has this theory that people's emotional development halts the when they become famous so like michael jackson uh, is set a seven-year-old for his entire life because the moment that people start saying yes to you and you become famous uh, is like you don't need to develop any further as a, as a human being uh, so like ashton kutcher is like 17 he's famous and now he's a seven he's like a 17 year old for the rest of his life but then you get george clooney or john ham they had proper jobs mm-hmm. they worked in as waiters they did all that stuff they make it in their 30s and they're cool as fuck because they know how life is much more and they can they know how hard it is and they can appreciate it much more that they're there it's it's not so they know how what the the other side of that equation is the struggle and i think um i think to be honest you know you knew me back then i think i i'm not saying i'm the perfect human being now but i think i was a bit of an asshole or a bit driven or a bit too focused or a bit whatever it is and Mm. and i feel like this the way that it's happened, even though I was frustrated and angry, I think is for much more for the best. Because I think if I had got any level of success early, it would I, I would mm. be absolutely unbearable and totally entitled. Yes. And I feel the same way. And I think also I think I feel exactly the same way. And I think it yeah. would have lasted a year. That's yeah, the other thing exactly. Right. Yeah. And now I feel like after twenty years, I've got the talent and the skills after those two decades mm. to back it up. And hopefully have something yes. a bit more long term and not be a total yes. arsehole during it. So having these opportunities that are sort of coming my way now, I'm just yeah. insanely grateful, giving each one the 
appropriate due that is worth, yes. you know, because I know what it's like to spend a long time with no opportunities and, and not having any of those options, you know. So. It's totally true. And it's very important. Josh isn't an arsehole. Uh, he did move the recording of this podcast so he could go and make a sitcom. But that's fine. <laughs> Sorry. That's fine. Uh, all right, fine. Listen, let's move on, shall we? Uh, 2005 now, Josh. Uh, 11th of July, you've bought the Fuji Finepix E550 digital camera. 215 quid you've blown on this bad boy. Yeah, wow. That, I, that, that camera, I kept... So this is a good... Yeah, so I bought this camera. This is obviously pre-smartphones and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you needed digital cameras. This was... This is an expensive thing for me to buy. 200 At that time, I'd been doing stand-up maybe two, three years. I was probably still temping a little bit. As well, just to get by, I think I was, you know, I was. We'd moved in with my 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 girlfriend then, but I needed this camera, and this is what I really. I told the the, the kids the story on the way to on the school run this morning. Um, I took a photo of my niece holding up a poster I'd made saying, "Dear Monique, will you marry Uncle Josh?" And I took it in the fo- you know on the screen, and then what I did was when we're down the beach, which is where I first saw her, not where we met, but I saw creepily saw her on a rock and thought she was the most beautiful woman I've ever seen and all that stuff. Anyway, we were sitting there like to have lunch. Uh, this is in, in Mallorca in Spain. And I said, oh, you should check out these cool photos I took of, of, Lo- of my niece. <laughs> and so she was flicking through them and she saw it. And then I had the ring out and, da, 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 ah. and all that stuff like that. So that camera means something to me. But the bit I didn't tell the kid was, the kids was, that, that it was, as you say, it was 200 odd quid. It was like the most expensive purchase I had. So, in that moment of happiness and joy, I thought for the first time in my life, I'm going to just put this camera on the rock next to me, you know, and it came with, I had to buy a case as well. That was 20 quid and all this stuff. Yeah. I put the camera down to, you know, live that moment as my wife and my agrees to be my partner in life and all that stuff. And as she just walked into the room, sorry about the screaming, babe. Um, and, um, and so I put this rock down and I ne- put this camera down to be in the moment of the power of now, which may be one of the other books that was on my Amazon buy list somewhere. Love that book. Yeah. Love that book. And, uh, and of course a bloody wave came in and, <laughs> <laughs> and you got to say, I'm so anal and I was so like protective of this camera because it was so expensive and I had so much yeah, yeah, money yeah. that every time <laughs> I got it out or my wife took a photo, I'd be like, put the, put the camera back in the thing, put it back in the pouch. Don't. And the one time I just was like, I'm not going to put it back in the pouch. I'm just going to put it here so I can hug and kiss my wife in the moment. Once the time a bloody wave came in and knocked it, I was like, (laughs) but she thought when she saw it, she thought she wasn't actually meant to see it. So she sort of went past it. Like she was, she Uh, didn't realize. And then I was like, did you see that? (laughs) Which was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she was all like, happy. You're you're behind her on one knee. Yeah, yeah. Can you just go back, go back, go back? Find us on Twitter and Instagram. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 24th of January 2006, the uh, Henry vacuum cleaner. There he is. Look at this uh, domesticity. He, he made an appearance, did he? Is that the bags uh, or the actual vacuum cleaner? Bags and the Hoover, mate. Bags and the Hoover. Really? I got because I thought we bought mm. it from Costco. But maybe yeah, I bought that one. maybe I bought that for my grand I was living at my grandma's around then, I think. Why were you living at your grandma's? We were um 
trying to save money to get our flat that you this wonderful ex council flat that you see behind you behind mm. me um and uh you know it was like it was just we we moved in together after about a year or so and it was obviously rent was just insane we're in a studio room together yeah. it was it was pretty hardcore and we needed to save that save some money and so yeah eventually we moved into my grandma's the idea was that we would be there to help her make sure she'd taken her medication and not really be carers as such because she was still somewhat independent but essentially mm. mooch off her and just use up all the electricity and all that stuff uh so sure I sure sure think of that time must have bought a, a hoover for our part of the house or something like that part yeah yeah part of the deal is we'll if they're rent free but we will hoover everything up so, yeah 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 it's yeah. quite nice it's quite nice you know moving in with the the generation above the generation above you it was good we, sweet, isn't it? we've always been very we were, she unfortunately died a couple of years ago but we were always super mm-hmm. close i was at boarding school my mum, dad they were working all the time i'd so any normality that i have is really come from her like she she oh, actually yeah. loved me <laughs> or i felt loved by her and oh my I god i could have done with one of those oh, yeah you didn't get any of that at all no 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 someone who loved you well okay writing yeah. this down as well that sounds good um and board, so i went to boarding school as well where were you at boarding school i was at dulwich college preparatory school and mm. Miller. Christ, well, how old were you when you started? I was then? nine, I think. <gasps> and I told this to, and this is a sort of classic humble brag thing, but I was supporting mm. Frankie Boyle on tour a few years ago. And he, I told, we were just talking about stuff. And I said something to him and he just couldn't, he thought it was the funniest. And it's, you know what I was thinking? You just don't think about your own life sometimes. You don't realize how mad something is. But I, yeah. I said, and I went to Dulwich College Preparatory School and I lived in, we lived in Dulwich. I literally lived five minutes down the road. And I did, that didn't seem weird to me somehow. But when I told him that, he's just like, are you what? Like, he couldn't believe it. I, li- I literally lived a five minute walk. Yeah. Yeah, at the yeah. road from my boarding school. It took an intervention from Frankie Boyle for you to look at your own life and go, go oh, really messed up. My parents really I'm- hated me. Imagine taking one of your five children now, Josh. Yeah. Right. And and I assume you've got a nine-year-old in there somewhere in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Imagine taking that child and putting it in a school and then saying, see you at Christmas. What? Yeah. It's mad. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to have kids and to have someone else in the room with you while you look at your phone. That's what yeah. kids are <laughs> That's you know? what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Giving that iPad away and just be <laughs> on my phone. And the worst thing is now my eldest is 12. And so he's got a phone now and whatever. Oh and I'm just, I, I really get upset with him being on his phone. But I'm just the biggest hypocrite, of course, because I am yeah. on Twitter. I'm on, you know, on my phone all the time. Certainly <laughs> the last few years, which uh, even pre-COVID with getting mm. into sort of more political stuff and just yeah. take absolutely taking over my headspace um but mm. and it's and it's just wrong and i just try and explain to him like this is bad i not this is not the example to follow you should be looking at me yeah. and never want to see a phone again but no yeah he's yeah <laughs> <laughs> so drama. i'm in exactly the same situation my so i'm like right no screens guys and then i sit down with my phone they're like but you're on a screen <laughs> yeah well this is an, a screen this is actually an extension of my hand it affects now, your so... brain differently your brain is younger you my brain's already messed up or whatever um all right look here's some books you know pre-phones uh 2007 still here with josh harry on my mate bought a toaster we've got the happiness hypothesis putting ancient wisdom to the test of modern science um by jonathan Haidt. Uh, yeah (laughs) this is the classic this goes in the never read that bin which there's a big one on my mate bought a toaster uh the god delusion by richard dawkins which i have read and that for me was the moment i stopped having slightly weird wishy-washy faith that was interesting because for me it really cemented my faith and I've got oh. it, and I just took a lot of notes as I was reading it. I was like, for me, it was like, I've got to read the enemy because I am, I'm Jewish and I go to synagogue mm. and I do believe in God and I, you know, my, I trained to be a rabbi and I got kicked out. So I had this sort of brainwashed religious side to me, but I read it. I was like, well, I, let's see, everyone says this is the best counter argument to that. Let's, yes. let's delve into it. And I sort of took lots of notes and there were just, it felt to me like there were lots of fallacies like this prove that. And it's like, well, that doesn't prove anything, you know, so... It, it wasn't convincing to me, and I thought, well, if this is the best that 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 argument has, then I'm very comfortable where I'm at. Um, okay. Well, first of all, I mean, just 
to just to get this done you're wrong secondly um <laughs> let me get my copy and get my notes out well yeah. well I, you just sort of you just you just brushed over a load of stuff like about your faith and going to synagogue and 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 also training to be a rabbi and then getting kicked out i need all of that unpacked in let's say three minutes tops okay well I, I did an edinburgh show about this like years ago called chosen so it was all so i was raised as a buddhist and then i was at boarding school and all this and then basically when i was about six then i got into my jewish heritage my mom's jewish and i was at my grandma's house which is where i spent a lot of time and then i think that was part of it as well she helped sort of nurture that and then i went out to israel when i was 18 and i was on kibbutz and i was very much a zionist and i was like i'm going to reclaim the land and we're going to build i was working a date plantation on a kibbutz and all that stuff and then i went to this yeshiva which is a rabbinical school and they essentially brainwashed me i thought it was like a cultural kind of like a month where you would learn about stuff but it was actually this kind of religious indoctrination thing so i ended up wow. staying there and then i got kicked out because i got caught sleeping with a non-jewish girl uh in the dormitories and uh, during tisha bar which is like one of the holiest days of the, the destruction of the second temple anyway that's a very so i sort of had this um the even though i was kicked out the brainwashing stayed and and so i carried that with me afterwards but i never really deprogrammed and um I have come from a spiritual background anyway. And for me, it's just like, which direction are you going to take that? I do have an innate sense of something being out there and whatever. Also, the necessity of a moral framework is no bad thing. And then there's identity that that ties into it as well. So the kids can reject this stuff later on. And I don't, I certainly don't shove it down their throats apart from it just being part of our lives. But later on, if they go 80, I don't believe in God. And but Judaism's never really been Jewish. Isn't about believing in God. It's about it's about living your life according to certain so, moral so, codes. Maybe I had I had no idea because in my head it's like the first part of the contract is there's an afterlife and we have to be good. Yes, to get that's to a God's very afterlife. Christian thing. That's the whereas right. Judaism, the focus is totally different. Jews don't believe in like this afterlife or this heaven as such. Uh, so it isn't like you do good now for later. The idea in Judaism essentially could be summed up as do this stuff now for mm. now. Like do I mean, that's almost quite but it's almost quite Buddhist in a way, yeah, isn't it? it is. To be there, in the moment. Yeah, there's actually a Jew, there's a book called The Jew in the Lotus, and it's about the connections, but there's it's it's almost like a do this it's a much more focus on the how to live a good life now. And all that other stuff. And Judaism doesn't go on about doesn't really focus at all on the afterlife as such. So do I, you have? Do you sort of believe that God, if you do the right things, God is rewarding you? So the good things that happen in your life are as a result of God? Not necessarily. No. Again, that really comes down more to gratitude and how you look at things. So mm. I, I think there's definitely a lot of saying thank yous and stuff when you are but praying. That is almost mindfulness. That is almost the mindfulness yeah, I'd craze. Say that's pretty, that yeah, absolutely. There's a, yeah, I'd say that's exactly what mm. it's mindfulness. So there's there are connections to these other. I I did power of now and my you know and, and tying it together. Mm. Um, I love this. I could get in on this, Josh. Can I? Can I become a G? That's, that's okay, isn't it? That's the catch. Oh man! <laughs> well, come on. Not, well, you can cut that. Yeah, they, they make Jews because it's a. And the other thing I like about it is a non not that you can't proselytize. Like you're not like it's specifically. There's a law against going out there on the corner with a big. Uh, board and saying god is nigh or whatever the end mm. is like you know you cannot mm. it's you're not allowed to go out there and say um, oh. all that stuff um, it's got a no pr clause i no love PR that clause. and, not only, and, and oh. then the other thing i like about it is it doesn't it also doesn't say like jews are going to heaven and everyone else is going to hell or anything like that it's like this is the way this is the contract that we made with god this is how we're meant to live our life but that doesn't mean that anyone else's way of living their life is yeah. wrong I've learned more about Judaism in the last four minutes than I have in the last 41 years. Thanks for coming on the show. We like to listen to toast And we're not the kind who would boast And even in spite of the host We still like to listen to toast Now let's have a little skip on ahead then, shall we? Uh, What have we got here? Uh, 13th of November 2013, uh, the AA car essentials l plates so this is and that there uh, the, uh, let me just uh, this is obviously oh. not going to work on a podcast but that's we fine in, we've got words we've got words oh look there they are this is when my wife first threatened to start learning to drive 
That's okay. Well, this was her like effort. And interesting enough, here we are nine years later. <laughs> How's and, it going? <laughs> and Saturday will be her first driving lesson. You're joking. No. So it's taken nine years to get to this point from buying those learner plates. Um, she's been threatening to do this night. So I do, the, the kids go to a Jewish school. It's about 20 minutes away, but with parking and all that stuff, it's for me, it's a two hours of my day every day for the last eight years. Now I've been doing it. And yeah. my wife doesn't drive. So now things are getting a little bit busy again. So she's she is sort of saying she's gonna she's gonna start doing these driving lessons and stuff, which is great. I yeah. I'm gonna say something very I, I don't believe it's sexist, but I'm sure there'll be people who will disagree. <laughs> That's the great, way great. love that. So I, we, we, we don't shy from controversy. We're we're GB news. That's fine. Go on. Yeah, there we go. So she um I don't really or haven't in the past wanted her to drive or haven't been that bothered about it because I don't think she's a, she'd be a, I'm worried if she's going to be a good driver. Now, this is not because she's a woman necessarily, although no, you could course. attribute this this factor to women maybe more. I don't know. I don't know. But yep. she's an optimist. So maybe, I don't know, are women more optimistic than men? I, I'm not sure. She, she married me. She's an optimist. So mm-hmm. I think that makes you a bad driver. Because you have to, to be a good driver, you've got to be a pessimist, that you've got to mm-hmm. just assume that everybody's a bad driver and someone pulling out of that drive has not seen you, is going to pull in front of you, or the car that's in front of you is going to break suddenly. You yeah. always have to assume the worst. That and is that fantastic way- advice. That is day one when you sit in the car yeah. next to your instructor. That's the first thing any instructor needs to say. And she just assumes the best of humanity. And what oh, and no. thinks everybody's good and everybody's got good intentions or everybody will let her through or whatever it is. And I'm worried. I'm sorry, but a smile and a wave is not going to avoid a crash. That is no, uh, yeah, exactly. Oh. And she's so that that's what concerns me. Well, she's going to learn, and what's going to happen is she's going to start learning to drive. She's going to learn this lesson. It could change her entire view of humanity. No, sure, yeah, absolutely. But she's going to learn, and with our kids in the car and crash or whatever. <laughs> oh, that's uh, true. Yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I'm just a little bit. She, if she drives, it would only be on this school run, which is a straight line there and back. Yeah. So hopefully, it wouldn't. You know, there's no motorways or anything. Um, Fine. How much damage can you do on a 20-minute school run, really? On a 20 miles an hour as well. She's also got terrible spatial awareness. That might be a... <laughs> that just might be her. Being from New Zealand and she's very mm-hmm. used to mm-hmm. open... You know, I'm not saying that's a women's thing, but she oh just God, has... You're offending so many people today, Josh. So many people. She has terrible spatial awareness. And, um, and <laughs> uh, it's sort of... That's been one of the banes of our 20 years together. <laughs> it's just like this kind of it's like and you know i'm from london and i'm used to weaving in front of round people and mm. and also just by being in boarding school by living growing up in a room of 12 people like you have your space and this Mm. is it and you know exactly where everybody is because you could be attacked at any moment by somebody by a fist just coming you know so i'm just you have this like 360 Thing. You know what it's like from boarding school, right? I'm sure you have yeah. a similar thing. You're just yeah. oh you're my god, aware. you're always making. You, you you don't know where the next attack is coming from. Yeah, you're always parking yourself in a little corner and making your little safe corner. I I'm still. I always sleep in the corner in restaurants wherever I have to sit in the corner. Yeah, I have. I am a nest. I'm a nester, and my nest is about the same size as my what I can hold in my hands in front of me. And that is my little yeah. world. And everything beyond that. And this is a boarding school thing completely mm. because it would be like being in the TV room in the 90s. I had my little bit in front of me with whatever, usually snacks and everything yeah. else can go fuck itself everything else could be on fire for all I care yeah little- absolutely absolutely and when when my wife and I we did when we moved in together after about a year like I said we had this studio flat like a t- very tiny room as yeah. just a double bed with a little table and then off it a tiny bathroom and a little tiny tiny kitchen thing um, but she couldn't understand that's the closest we ever came to breaking up during that time because she couldn't understand how I could be in that space this tiny space and still be in my own space Yes. That was so very, so she would, you know, we, how could I be sitting next, be reading or being, and not engage with her or, or just have the blinkers down, like that she yes. wasn't there in a way. And that's yeah. because that's boarding school for you. I could, I could have a hundred people in a tiny room and still be, have, if like you say, you've got that little area in front of you, you've got this, that, then, then that's enough. And quite she couldn't there. get it. Quite happy. I think that's a city, city dweller thing as well. If I, if I'm, if I've got space, I get. I start to get a bit dizzy and mad. I'm like a dog. I need to be in my crate. Yes, exactly. We have been uh, been <laughs> taught well. So let's see uh, what else we can find here. Josh, a couple of books. This is interesting. Um, 
you've got AIDS in the 21st century, disease and globalization. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then you've got HIV and AIDS, symptoms, testing, treatment, risk factors, preventions. Do you want to tell us what's going on here? So I, this is when I got AIDS. And uh, <laughs> so I, I did an Edinburgh show a couple of years ago called uh, uh, AIDS, a Survivor's Story. And the whole, the show was about how growing up in the sort of 80s, 90s, and also growing up in the, my parents worked in the fashion industry, basically everyone we knew, all these like uncle figures, and basically everybody got HIV, got AIDS and died. And it absolutely traumatized me because then it was also like everybody, if you're straight, it didn't matter, like everybody could anybody could get it and it, yeah. so going through puberty at that time and there's a people who are like my age 46 45 47 whatever yeah that it was a very weird time to go through puberty with these insane adverts everywhere and then because well, you joke, can't yeah. you can't you can't help but i'm exactly the same age as you you can't yeah. help but tie in sexual development with this uh, apocalypse that seems to be happening yeah, around you because it was, and, it was yeah, sexual, sexuality and so it was all like condom use and whatever yeah. you know and then i would so did you know the joke? Yeah, you know, I'd be like, you know, now as we know, uh, you know, um, you know, it's, it's impossible for straight people to die of AIDS or whatever. <laughs> but at the time, it was like this. So this, I wrote this show because when I was seventeen, I the second girl I ever slept with after like a week or two, we slept together without a condom, mm. and she was a year older than me, and I absolutely convinced myself that I was now HIV positive. Right. Like, I was like, she'd slept with like 10 guys and she was also like an actress. And I was like, and those guys, they probably slept with, you know, they probably have all of these or whatever. So I was like, totally, totally convinced that. So this was the story. This, this show was all about that time and growing up around these people dying. Mm. And then the trauma that that sort of carried with me, obviously it was a comedy show. Mm. Um, but it was like, and then it was like the, the lengths I had to go to, to get, I was so petrified that I couldn't go, get tested, and I still have never been tested because mm. I'm still so scared of it. But what so I you thought, still deep down think you might be HIV positive? Yeah, absolutely. And so, but I thought, well, if I can get her tested, then um, that's how I'll know that I don't have it, you know. And then I convinced myself, and then she wouldn't do it, and I had to like stay with her. And it turns out we really weren't shouldn't have been a couple. I really didn't like each other, but I was like clinging to this relationship to just get her to get tested because I couldn't get tested, and then. And then she did get tested, and then I convinced myself that she was lying because she thought I was going to break up with her. If she, were, like, I was totally, wow. totally mental. Um, wow. And uh, Def- definitely blame, definitely blame the AIDS epidemic on you being mental, Josh. Definitely yeah, blame exactly. Well, that, yeah, yeah. being mental plus AIDS epidemic, mm. the two combined together. So that, so I bought, as I do, I, I'm a big researcher, and I bought a lot of books about AIDS. Actually, I really wanted to like know my stuff, and it was really. Yeah. Really interesting. One of them, I don't know which one of those that is, was an amazing book written by this woman who worked for a health AIDS cha- for an HIV charity, and it right. just taught. It's all about her experiences, like trying to like the reality of AIDS now as it is in Africa and whatever, and also her efforts to kind of raise awareness and and it was really and it was a lot of counterintuitive stuff and also things like condoms are like different sizes in different countries like i mean, well, i don't know why this is the one factor but mm-hmm. like you can't say that about this is going to totally get cancelled but let's just say that in africa the condoms are a different size to japan right okay so yeah. it's interesting here where you have a a stereotype and arguably an offensive stereotype mm-hmm. which is then suddenly backed up i guess by material reality when it yeah. comes to and that material um, reality is important to save lives because the other thing that that you know yeah. but what is what has become so uh such a i guess a relief in a way and so and so good is that it's it's so well uh, dealt with now by science and by medicine but the problem mm. with that is that Absolutely. the western western world seems to have kind of gone well that's fixed that's over and it's like it's really not it's still a huge problem in well, sub are in africa because it's getting the medication to these people so now it's trying to mm. simplify the medication to be able to get it out there to mm. people and also and also it was a really interesting book because i did anthropology at university so it was almost anthropological about how different societies dealt with different uh de- dealt with hiv but also about how 
um, it's spread in a different way in different societies. Like in Nigeria, they have a culture of like older men sleeping with like 18, 19 year old girls because the 19 year old boys don't have money. And this is like, a, again, this is like not something that you really want to, um, you start dealing with some seemingly dodgy stuff, mm. but that is a cultural phenomenon of, yeah. uh, f- from that part of Africa where you get younger women sleeping with older guys very deliberately as a sort of like, they've got money and we'll take them out and pay, you know, that's not a popular thing to say in the Western world that we live in, but that's the reality there. And because mm-hmm. of that, you only needed a few of these 40 year old guys to be HIV positive to then have a massive impact because they'd have lots of these girlfriends. Yeah. Those girlfriends would eventually sleep with someone their own age. Yes. And then that would, you know, and that's mm-hmm. how it, so it was always, it was interesting how, different society and also, you know, and their attitudes to contraception and this and that would Mm. impact and drug use in Russia. They wouldn't acknowledge drug use there because they didn't believe in drug, you know, but of course that's how that was. But but if you can't acknowledge the problem, Mm. um, then you can't, of course, actually deal with it. And actually, Mm. another thing was like how Thatcher actually was actually really on top of it, way ahead of the game, which is an interesting thing. Yeah, like she really got on top of this like stuff a lot earlier and really wanted to push things further and was actually held back by her government at the time, like wanting to, you know, they were like giving out free syringes and stuff like that. And things like programs like, were like she was, cause she was a scientist. Yes. And look, I can't believe I'm saying something cause our, you know, such a default anti Thatcher mm. world that we grew up in. And I grew up in a sort of, in a late, my parents worked for labor and, but, but, but that thing was, she was way ahead of the game when it came to oh, HIV. Stuff. I didn't know that. Yeah. God. Oh, yeah. God, I can't believe you're a Maggie lover. Jeez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, you say, but that's the tribalism of the last few years, of course. Is I, if you know, say anything I know, I know. I know. About anything, true. if you're yeah. not this. And that's what, that's the journey I've been on is, yeah. like, is breaking out of that somewhat in that you cannot say or support or say anything good no. about the other side or any, anything that doesn't fit that narrative. And people will, you, you know, if it, it's, it's, you know, it's fine. You're on this podcast. It's fine. But, you know, the stuff about what you're talking about in Nigerian relationships, people would, would say if you were on, uh, say you're on a TV show saying that and it was mm-hmm. clipped down and, and there was no context and it was seen as a yeah. lazy stereotype rather than a well-researched problem they're trying to deal with. Like, yeah. it's that thing of going, oh my God, just give me a chance before you jump down yeah. my throat and assume that I'm being horrific. I'm not being horrific. I'm <laughs> just like... There are different cultures that have to... These differences have yeah. to be acknowledged. If you are going to certainly deal with something like hiv or at least you know i completely agree with you uh, i also think we should move on vitamins b and c and d get it for myself for my health on the cheap gotta stay in shape but i'm so lazy cram online next day delivery we are now in 2015 josh howie and uh, you have spent 200 pounds on the grand canyon park's six biggest family tent oh my god oh it's beautiful josh <laughs> this is when you officially become middle class the moment yes that, uh... yes 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 <laughs> the big exactly. the massive tent still got this tent st- it's in a lot comes out we do a lot of camping because we l- haven't had very much money for a few years so we are camping three or four times a year got a lot of use out of that tent now we suffer from tent envy because there are the blow-up ones you know these huge blow-up ones our oh. one is still whatever but i this tent well, like a is bouncy like, castle tent what yeah they just like you just hook them up and they just blow up and they're you know i just uh, the, the way that camping is a microcosm of of normal life and you go camping in a kind of look we're going to slum it for a couple of days and it'll be fun kids we're going to be in a field and then you get there and this happened to me when i went camping last year and there was some prick in an suv parked up next to us who kept his engine rolling because it was powering yeah. his portable fridge that was keeping yeah. his beers yeah. cold and it's like mate you, you've got yeah. diesel pouring into my <laughs> tent so you've yeah. got some cold Budweiser. Oh, so upsetting. Yeah. Uh, just go down to the local, you know, get, get <laughs> the local supermarket last minute and, and then have a cooler. I, I like, I quite like it when there's an intense moment in camping where you're kind of like, okay, there's a kind of, you feel a bit like a group leader. Right, here we go. You need to go over there. You need to get over there. You get that for me. Do you know what I mean? But there's quite a lot of activity, yeah. which I enjoy. What I don't like is when the activity dies down and uh, you just stand there in a field feeling purposeless and wet. That's what I don't like. Yeah, yeah, that's like, the toughy thing. And fit, like I say, fitting seven of us in this tent <laughs> with it. it. We're, all, we're all in wet clothes and wet socks. It's like um, not, not good at it. 1st of December 2016, maybe a Christmas present here. Rat and mouse killer. Some nice poison. Yeah, we got mice. Thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. 
they're coming from downstairs. So we've got a council flat, ex-council flat, but downstairs still is a council flat, and there's a guy in it. It's a very nice man, but he's basically a hobo who turns out he's been living there illegally for the last 40 years. Love that. Great stuff. And yeah. uh, so he has a weird thing. He puts his rubbish in a plastic bag in the middle of his kitchen, and this whole flat uh, is falling apart uh, and really smells as well. I, he's, there's no way he's going to listen to this. Uh, uh, but uh, so, it, yeah, so mice, so as much as we kill these mice, they come in because of the staff, and I tried to like, and I said, so he did buy a bin recently. That's a big, that's a big deal. But oh, yeah, it's sure. it's a bit of a bane because then the mice come in, and uh, so I have to sort of constantly. Be, it's not too bad at the moment, although we did see a mouse the other day, and so you know when you see one, there's at least ten or something. We've got we've seven. got them as well. We've got them as well. Yeah. I came in the house last night from walking the dog, and it was just they're, they're getting cockier and cockier. It's just standing by the dishwasher eating, and I looked and I was like, "Mate, this is your cue to run away." And he was like, yeah, "I'll yeah. take my fucking time." No, to, no. Take you start humane, time. and then it just becomes mm. like I want it torch you i want to like cut your arms off i want to yeah. you know their happiness that like, when we kill a mouse is just tad just like that's the best yes you fucking <laughs> you shouldn't kill them what you need to do is get a post-it note and write the words buy a fucking bin stick it on the mouse the mouse will go back downstairs to your neighbor yeah uh, the neighbor yeah, will think the mice are communicating with them yeah you know? so that some of that stuff some of it's really good some of it isn't and uh, it's just finding the stuff that will actually sort of kill them and work. Loads of stuff here. We have got a Make Me Planet board game. We have got some. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Now, now you've hit it. So this is where I've had like a mental breakdown. This has been my midlife crisis. That's that's where we've reached now. <laughs> so many. And that's there's cool. so, there's so, 38 quid on the, the Rajas of the Ganges. Lord of the Zidit board game. Yeah. Ghost ghost fighting treasure hunters, Ravensburger, Carpe Diem strategy game, Renegade Atlas yeah. Enchanted Lands board game. Oh my God. Good. Yeah. And you know what? This isn't even half. This is what you're seeing is not even half of it. This is the stuff I buy from Amazon because occasionally you get like a better deal on Amazon or when they do like their special days or whatever, yeah. or people selling stock off cheaply. Like through other board, actual board game shops like websites and through physical shop. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of pounds, <laughs> and then they take up so much space. So all that DVD, Blu-ray book, and book buying yeah. got transferred. That all that collecting, and before then I was collecting comics, and I still do collect comics, has all been transferred to board games. That's become my. Josh, like this is it's really bad, but it's amazing because all of everything. What's incredible? I've never seen this happen on anyone's Amazon before. Everything else mm. stops apart from Rat Killer, but you basically you're going along, and up to this point, you've been buying books about how to write sitcoms, you've been buying books about how to be a stand up comic, yeah. books which you admit yourself most of the time aren't that good. And then suddenly you've gone, fuck it, I'm going to really get into board games with my kids. I love this. This is a sign of a happier person. You, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel pretty <laughs> um, exposed at the moment because this is a mental health issue, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Because Why? You play with your a... kids? You've got, oh, you've gone bright red. Yeah, you've but, gone but, bright red. I buy so many that if, yeah. I played a board, if I played a new board game a day, with my kids, I still wouldn't get through them all. So it's more than that. It's a collecting thing. And yes, I do play with my kids, but I'm just buying all I'm, my hobby, apart from like fighting Corbinites online, the rest of my time is spent yeah. like looking up board game reviews, being on this website called Board Game Geek and like looking up stuff, watching videos, watching reviews, finding them, sourcing them, tracking them down from America and Europe because they're like collect, because they only make a limited print run. And if they're out of print, you have to find them, you have to track them. I have to like, it's all encompassing. And it's, it's absolutely taken up like my life or my my hobby as such as it is. I stopped reading comics for a while. I'm back reading comics now and I stopped reading at all. Everything has been about, but I stopped buying clothes. It's like, I go, oh, do I want to buy this shirt or do I want to buy a board game? It's like, it's it's in, it's insane. And like I say- Where, where does this come from? Had you, did you have a latent interest that was sort of dormant? And can I just say, what I'm seeing as you start, as you sort of start to get intense about it, you remind me of the Josh Harry of 2002 talking about accruing gigs. Yeah. This is who I'm seeing. Okay, again. well, it, so- it, um, Spencer Brown, you know Spencer, obviously yes. comic as well. Oh, lovely. Um, so sort of start at the same time. I, a couple of years ago, I went to his house around that time, obviously, uh, six years ago or so. And he was like, "Oh, do you want to play a board game?" And I was like, oh, I'm not really "Board game." But he's like, "No, no, it's like it's not like what you think. Like it's kids, it's strategy and whatever." And then he showed me this cupboard, and he had like 
20 board games in this cupboard. And I was like, what? You've got 20 board games? Like, what? How much is that board game? He's like, oh, that's 30 quid. I was like, wait a sec. Are you telling me you've got 600 pat like a board like this is like i couldn't <laughs> believe it like i was like you are literally the most insane person i've ever met and i look back at that now and i compare it to me with literally board games just coming out of my ass and the amount of money that i've spent <laughs> and just the amount of time that it takes up and i'm just like oh my god it's like how does this happen it's 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 a it's a midlife crisis it's an absolute midlife crisis and um, and then we played a game and we played it. I was like, oh yeah, I sort of see it. And I just got addicted to it. So it tied into the collecting side and I tied into this kind of analytical, mathy, crunchy, the enjoyment side of it and playing, spending time with the kids. But also like tonight we're going to go out, we're playing this new game called Golem, which is like my birthday present was like imported in from Germany and no one's got it in the UK. And it's like this, you know, it'll take an hour to explain the rules. It's going to take me an hour to read the rules. It's going to take an hour. To- Would you play with the kids? No, I, no, I, with the eldest one, I traumatized him. I bought the, played, bought the Star Wars game and he was six and it took about three hours to just explain the rules to a six year old. I mean, I can't even believe I did <laughs> yeah. that, but that was, but, this it'll take an hour to explain the rules and then the game itself will take probably take two and a half hours and that's going to be the best night of my month <laughs> it's it's bad man it's it's i'm not proud of it <laughs> i feel ashamed you're very intense josh whether you're whether you're a buddhist or you are going back to train as a rabbi or you are a stand-up comic or you are a breeder and now you're a board gamer this is what you do isn't it everything 110 percent, absolutely Find that thing and just go for it. And to finish today, you are now happily 0% hair, all thanks to our final purchase of the show on the 24th of January, 2022, the Philips 7-in-1 all-in-one trimmer. It's the Series 3000 grooming kit for beard and hair. And Josh, looking at you now, you've done a great job. There's no beard there anymore. You had a great beard. That's gone. It's gone, yeah. The beard was... I like the beard. I'm missing it. There's a slight double chin that's appeared in the last year since I've had the beard. Um... As you say, I'm about to go off and film filming this um, Netflix thing that's this, on its second series, and I need to look a bit younger than the beard. I've got like it's a bit white now, my beard. So mm. I, it, the the beard gives me gravitas mm. and makes me seem intelligent, which is good for my other job, which is doing this show on GB News, this headliners thing, which is like going through the news, and um, that's really fun. Mm. But um, but the beard had to go for at least for the next month. It's about another, we've done two weeks and we've got another month or so of filming mm. and then I can get the beard back. You know what you should um, do on GB News? Take those board games into GB News. Just do just do some do some of those live on GB News. That would be better. Oh, well, then tax deductible. I've tried to get this stuff to be tax, like I've done a po- start, like tried to do a podcast. Oh, that I've is tried done. To, like, yeah, 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 done. Pilot. Yeah, it's like, just so I can claim the claim back on tax for these. For these Why products. do you think I did this podcast? Everything I buy on Amazon goes through my tax. Easy peasy. Genius, mate. Genius. Um, listen, Josh Harry, uh, you are a star. Thank you so much for joining me on My Mate Bought a Toaster. What a journey. What a wow. journey, Josh. Any final oh, comments? Is, I mean, it is. That's not, well, it's such a good idea that you, but that is, it shows the, your purchases define who you are to a degree. Yeah. And they have. They absolutely have. That's what's so great about this idea. It's so so good. Um, Josh, you're brilliant. Thank, so you. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Love to see you again. You too, man. It's my mate. Josh Howie, guys. What a top guy. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thank you very much for listening. Sorry, this is always the same, isn't it, at the end? Um, thanks, guys. I've had lots of lovely tweets, as usual, this week, which has been really nice. And um, please, if you get a second, do uh, hop on and give us a nice five-star review, uh, because the more five-star reviews we get... Someone was explaining to me an algorithm this week. I don't really understand it, but it helps. So if you feel that way, then please do jump on your podcast provider and give us a five-star review. It really, really helps. Um, Next week, I'm going to be interviewing Maisie Adam. This episode is already up in full at patreon.com slash toasterpod. And it's very, very funny indeed. Maisie Adams, a wonderful stand-up comic. And uh, we talked about all sorts of stuff. There's an incredible lava lamp story. And, uh, well, there's this. A story about her time working in Fat Face. And she basically describes me. So any other uh, middle-aged dads who shop in Fat Face... Prepare to be seen. We used to get a lot of dads. This used to happen a lot. We used to get a lot of dads who, um, whilst they were at the till, 
paying yeah. would show how cool they were by um, indicating that they knew the song that was playing, <gasps> but which because it was because Fatface has a certain um, uh, playlist that's very a lot of Ben Howard going on there. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. We've got a lot of Ben Howard. Hello, Ben Howard, mate. Had, yeah, um, yeah. Go on, keep them coming. A bit of passenger, yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> and you used to get a lot of a lot of lot of blokes tapping on the till this, whilst uh, their card was authorizing. Is this James Morrison, mate. Yeah, I know this Literally, one. Yeah. Just, just uh, just tapping the pin in and then going, only know when to lie when you're feeling low. Only when you're feeling low. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Do you want, do you want your seat in the bag, Jeremy? So that's Maisie Adam, who is going to be my guest next week. The full episode already up at patreon.com slash toasterpod. Only £4 for the basic toasterpod package. And also, there's extra Josh Howie footage uh, that's up there as well, exclusive to Patreon. So go and check that out. If you get a sec, see you next Wednesday. Lots of love now. It's my Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.